Hey, excited to jump into part two of our Healthy Soul series. If you have a Bible, open that up to Exodus. We'll read from Exodus chapter 32 here uh, in a few minutes. Um, but I want to begin this morning with an illustration. And let me give credit to Andy Crouch and his great book, The Tech Wise Family, uh, as where I read this illustration. But l- let's start here. Let's pretend that it's 150 years ago, all right? And you're living here in the northern part of Virginia. You have a house, you have a family. And let's say you have a job that takes you outside of the home. So you go and you sell things at the market or you're in construction or whatever would take you outside of the home during those days. But you do live here in this part of northern Virginia and it does get cold here. Uh, Through the winter it gets really, really cold and apparently in May it can also hit the 30s as it did last night. But you're a busy person. You have a job. You have to provide for your family. You have a house to maintain. But tonight, it's going to blow freezing. So on top of all of the work that you have to do to provide for your family, the other thing that you need to devote time and energy to is making sure your family is warm tonight when they go to sleep, that they don't freeze right? So you're going to need to do a number of things to make this happen. You're going to need to make sure you have a good supply of dry wood to burn. You're going to have to utilize a a wood furnace or in some sort of hearth to, to heat your home. Actually, you're probably going to involve your entire family. You're going to get your entire family involved in, in gathering the wood and, and maintaining the furnace. And your family is probably going to need to be all together in the same room gathered around the hearth in order for you all to stay warm. So just the act of heating your house requires a lot of time, a lot of energy. It requires planning. It requires your family working together and your family being all together in order to stay warm. But today, 150 years later, right? For most of us who live in modern homes, we have this little device attached to our walls called a thermostat. And the thermostat, if you think about it, saves us all kinds of time and mental energy when it comes to making sure our houses are warm. Right, so this thermostat, this device that we've invented, it constantly measures the temperature of your house. And if the temperature of your house goes one degree below the set temperature of your comfort or one degree above that set temperature of your comfort, it's going to automatically, without you having to do a thing, kick on a furnace or an air conditioner. And that is going to push air through ventilation in your home all throughout your house to make sure your entire house is at one constant temperature, right? So for most of us, heating or cooling our house requires zero time, zero energy, zero mental energy. Our families don't need to work together to make this happen, and our families don't need to be in the same room in order to stay warm or to stay cool. Think about it. This right here is the primary impact of technology on our lives. Technology makes us more 
efficient. Right, right. How much time have we saved through the technological advancement of the thermostat in central air? Or, or just, just think about the smartphone, this piece of technology right here. Right, through this device, I can talk with virtually anyone on the planet. Actually, I'm talking to many of you, many of you right now through your device. So you don't have to travel to go see that person. You don't have to travel to come see us. So this technology lets us do this during this pandemic. If you want to talk to someone, you can just shoot them a text or a message. You don't need to write them a letter and, and send it and wait for it to return. On that device, you can engage in commerce. You can buy things. You can do your banking on that phone. You don't need to go to the branch anymore. You can do mobile deposit. Amazon, you can order anything in the world. They'll be at your house in a couple of days. You can live feed broadcast to the world through that device. I can look up any piece of information I want through that device. I don't need to look it up in an encyclopedia or consult an expert. I can just Google it now, right? I have Bible software on my computer and on my phone where I just type in a passage, here's a little preacher's trick, and boom, thousands of commentaries and articles pop up instantaneously all searchable. Do you know how much time that saves when it comes to preparing to preach a sermon? You can make complex mathematical calculations on that device, right? So don't you remember growing up in math class, your teacher would be teaching you the formulas and you would be saying to yourself, or if you were like me, you would say out loud to the teacher, why do I need to learn this when I can just put it into a calculator? And what did the teacher always say? Well, you're not always going to have a calculator in your pocket, right? Well, well we, it's, a, it's a new day, isn't it? Right? Technology has made us more efficient. And this is a great thing. This is really, really good. I think we should celebrate technological advancement, and I think we should keep advancing technologically. But I think all of this advancement has revealed something about us as people that we need to pay attention to. Why is it with all of this technology that has saved us so much time, so much energy, so much mental energy on just taking care of our basic needs, why is it that we're busier? Why do we have less time if we have saved more time? Why is it that with all of the space that technology has opened up for us, we have somehow just filled it all up? I mean, wouldn't it make sense that, that we would be busier before we had all of this technology, but, but for some reason we're busier today, living a more frantic pace of life, stressed out with less margin than left ever before. Why is that? Why is it as a people that when space is created in our life, and, and what I mean by space is these moments of time where we have nothing to do, nothing to do at all, right? Why is it that when we create space, we instinctually fill it up as fast as possible. Because think about it, if technology allows us to be more efficient and we instinctually fill up all of that saved space and all of that margin in our lives, 
then technology means we're able to do more, which equates to living life at a frantic pace and at unbelievable speed, packing more and more and more things into the space, right? Your car means you can be in more places in one day and do more things in one day. Having email and texts and messengers on your phone means that you can be available to anybody at any point of the day over different mediums. Right, you can work more, more hours now because you can work remotely. And, and all of this technology has made distractions more available to us, right? Things like entertainment and social media and games and all of these other things. And none of this technology is bad. Having all of this efficiency and entertainment so accessible to us, it, it's a good thing. It's not bad at all. However, what it's revealing to us is how much we don't like space. How much we don't like it when there's nothing to do. Nothing to engage our minds, nothing to produce, nothing to control. And so whenever we encounter space, we anxiously have to fill it. We grab the phone. Uh, we, we distract our minds with social media, we scroll through, we, we work more, we, we plan more activities, we do more projects. The more we advance, the more space we create, the faster paced our lives become. And my hope this morning is to show you that this way of life is not good for your soul. That your soul needs space. And we need to figure out, why do we hate space so much? As I said earlier, we're in part two of the Healthy Soul series. Um, we've decided as a church that what we want to do during this pandemic season is leverage the disruption that we're in and, and evaluate if the way that we're living our life uh, in our lives is, is truly healthy or not. And, and last week we studied John 15 together and Jesus' bold claim that apart from abiding in Jesus, apart from having a significant, meaningful, time-consuming relationship with Jesus, we can do nothing. And so if, if you missed that, I encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, but this week, we want to get a bit more specific in evaluating the pace that we live our lives and, and try and see what happens to our souls when we live our lives at such a frantic pace that we do not allow for any space for a relationship with God to thrive. And so uh, what I want to do is I, I want us to study a passage in, in Exodus chapter uh, 32. So, so grab your Bible, uh, get the book of Exodus out. And so uh, the book of Exodus, it's all about uh, God's rescue of his people, the people of Israel, from their slavery to Egypt, and then it's the beginning parts of their journey out of Egypt and on their way to uh, the promised land. And so Exodus comes right after Genesis, the second book in your Bible, and most of this book takes place at Mount Sinai. So after God rescued Israel from Egypt. They're wandering through the desert and God leads them to Mount Sinai where God gives Moses the law. God makes a covenant 
with the people of Israel, and then he gives him his word, gives Moses the law. All right, so let me set the scene for you when it comes to Exodus 32. Just think about this here for a second. You're enslaved in Egypt. Pretend you're one of the Israelites. You're enslaved in Egypt. God has miraculously rescued you from Egypt through these 10 supernatural plagues that broke the will of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh finally says, okay, fine, Israel, you can go. And God did this supernaturally before your very eyes. You leave Egypt and you're you're trying to escape and the Egyptian army, because Pharaoh changes his mind again, begins to pursue you. And then God rescues you by splitting the Red Sea in two. You walk straight through it. And then as the Egyptian army enters the Red Sea, he splashes the waters over them and he saves you from the pursuit of the Egyptians. You see that with your own eyes. Then you're journeying in the desert, going to the promised land, this amazing land that God has promised you and your people but it's a long journey in the desert. And so God miraculously provides clean water for you. God also begins to rain down from heaven, manna, bread for you every single day, right? So so God is doing these incredible, supernatural, gotta see it to believe it type of things every single day as you're headed to the promised land. Now, you arrive at Mount Sinai and you're going to camp out there for a while because God has got some things he wants to do. He wants to give Moses the law. He wants to etch those on tablets of stone and give that to Moses. He wants to make his covenant. And so in Exodus chapter 24, 24, a few chapters before, uh, Moses tells you, right, because you're one of the Israelites, that God has asked him to ascend the mountain, Mount Sinai, where he is going to give Moses the law. All right, so Moses tells you this, hey, I'm going to go up the mountain. I'm going to be there for a while. God's going to speak to me. I'm going to come back with the word of God. And you agree, Moses, that sounds like a great plan. You go do that. You go speak to God on our behalf, and we will wait for you. And so here's what you see. Moses goes up the mountain, and then this fire engulfs the mountain, and Moses walks in to meet with God. And that is what you see with your own eyes. Look at this, Exodus chapter 24. I just want to read this. I'm going to read Exodus 24 verses uh, 17 and 18. So I want you to read this. It says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So that's you. You're looking up the mountain. Mountains engulfed in flames. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. All right, so so you see this. You see this occur. Okay? And so you've experienced these amazing things with God. Uh, You've seen God be faithful to you. You've seen God perform these miracles. Fire's engulfing the mountain. Moses is going to go meet with him for a while. We're going to hang at the foot of the mountain and wait. And so Moses is gone 40 days and 40 nights. Space. Space where the people of God are now waiting. Nothing's happening. Moses on the mountain. 
Space where you have nothing to do. Nothing to produce, nothing to control, nothing productive to do. You're just waiting for God, waiting for Moses. You're in the desert. You're not home. Space. So what do the people of God, the people of Israel do in response to the space? Keep in mind, chapters 24 that we just read through 32, where we're going to go now, it, this is comprised of all of the things that God is telling Moses up on the mountain. A lot of the law God is giving. And the people of God are just waiting. And let's see how they respond. Exodus 32. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. It says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who was uh, second in command to Moses, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Verse 2, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So as we said... Israel had experienced these amazing ways in which God had rescued them and provided for them and protected them, and then they encountered space. Space where God was silent, space where there was nothing to do, space where they did not know what to do, and inside that space, they were so uncomfortable, they didn't know what to do with themselves. In that space, the genuineness of their faith in God was now actually being tested. In that space, the condition of their souls was now beginning to be revealed because in that space, they abandoned God, they made up some new God and gave that worthless hunk of metal all of the credit for the amazing things that they just witnessed God do in rescuing them from Egypt. What happened in that space? Here's what I would argue. Is that in those 40 days and 40 nights, when they had nothing to do, they could no longer drown out the volume of all of the anxieties and all of the fears and all the unresolved tensions in their minds and their hearts. The volume of those things went up. There was nothing to busy themselves and distract themselves from the questions and the anxieties that already existed in their heart. And so the questions got louder. What are we doing out here in the desert? What if the daily bread stops and God doesn't provide it anymore? What if Egypt comes back and pursues us again? Should have we left Egypt in the first place? Sure, we were in slavery, but it's better than being stranded in the desert. Has God left us? What if one of these other nations ambushes us? Am I crazy for believing that God is actually going to save us? 
See, Moses' delay on Mount Sinai did not cause Israel to have a crisis of faith. It revealed the true condition of their faith. And when these questions start to get louder and those anxieties start to overwhelm the heart, we naturally look for a remedy, maybe something to distract us from it. Uh, Maybe a quick, easy answer to the tension that we feel. Something, anything to fill the space where I have to face what's really going on. And so Israel decided to craft a new God out of metal and to worship it. Because even though it sounds crazy that they would do this, that they would actually believe that some golden calf was their God, Everyone else was doing it, and if everyone else is doing it, it fills the space, it distracts me away from the true anxieties I have, does absolutely nothing to deal with those anxieties, it just turns down the volume, so let's all do it. Group think. We all struggle with the same thing as the Israelites. We don't like space. Uh, space could be uh, having a day or an evening where you've got nothing to do. Space could be sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. Space could be sitting at a stoplight. Uh, It could be the 15 or 20 minutes of silence that we've asked you to do as a part of your daily hour with Jesus and the Healthy Soul Challenge. See, the, the space is a place where there's nothing to distract us or busy us. And we're just left with what is in our mind and in our heart. And this makes the space an ideal and unique place to commune with God. But there's something that makes us uncomfortable with the space. So we quickly move to to get away from it. Because it's in the space where the volume of our anxieties and fears gets louder. Therefore, it makes the space this ideal place to cast our anxieties on Christ and to exercise our faith, but we instinctually fill the space when we encounter it. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. After they realized they were naked, they they fled to cover up. I don't want to deal with the vulnerabilities, the anxieties. I want you to uh, imagine that you're a receptionist at a very large office and you have to take in a lot of calls and you're screening calls and you're routing calls. You have to take all kinds of calls. All right, so every time you take a call, you know, thank you for calling such and such office. Can you please hold? And you put that call on hold. And when you put that call on hold, what happens? You have this big switchboard or phone system and, and there, on that line, you got a blinking light letting you know that there's a person on that call who needs to be dealt with. And in every 60 seconds or so, that thing beeps at you to let you know that there's still a person on that call waiting to be dealt with. And every time an anxiety or a fear or some sort of tension pops up in your heart, it's kind of like a call has come in. And you said, okay, I'm gonna put that on hold. And so now it's just sitting there blinking and beeping at you. All right, so you encounter some space and 
you, you, re, you begin to really ask yourself the question, do I really believe in God? And, and the doubts start to flood in. What about this? And what about that? And is this something I really want to devote my life to? And that becomes an anxiety, a tension in your heart. So now we're going to put that on hold so we have a blinking light, right? Just waiting to be dealt with because it needs to be dealt with, right? And then I remember this conversation that I had last week with this one person and I haven't gotten a text back from them. So I keep replaying that conversation in my head, wondering if they took my words wrongly or not. And so I'm worried about that. And so I've got another tension, another anxiety, another blinking light at me. And then I've been really frustrated at my spouse lately. Uh, I just feel like they've been kind of unplugged or they've been kind of harsh with me. And so I'm just not feeling loved in my marriage. And so now I have another tension, another blinking light at me. And then I'm worried about finances and the budget right now. It's getting kind of slim. And so there's another blinking light. Now we've got all this pandemic stuff. And so I'm worried about my job. Am I going to lose that? Or I'm worried about the economy in general. Or I'm worried about my health. Or I'm worried about the politics of all this and how crazy that is. And so I've got these other blinking lights. And then I'm wondering, man, I'm just really struggling as a parent. Right? My kids are here all the time and I'm struggling with that. And so that's, that's hard. And, and so I have another blinking light. And then I'm wondering, am I damaging my kids? Am I, am I emotionally damaging them? And so now I've got that tension. Are my kids going to follow behind in school? Man, we're out of milk and I got to go to the grocery store. Should I stock up for a little bit longer? I haven't exercised in a while. Just these blinking lights, they're everywhere. And then when we give some space, all of a sudden, the volume of those lights and all of those beeps, and it just becomes obnoxious in our face. This phone system, it's lit up with all of these anxieties and fears and tensions. It's obnoxious. And so we see that we have to deal with that. And so we instinctually say, whoa, let's distract from that. Pull the phone out, start scrolling. Whew. Turn the volume down. Start watching something. Let's do a little bit more work. Let's start a new project. Let's go buy something on Amazon. Turn on Netflix. Another activity, another commitment, anything. Just turn the volume down. So you take all that space that we've created through technology and you take the fact that we're allergic to all of that space and the outcome of all of that is a life lived at a frantic pace. And the truth is, living this way, putting all those calls on hold, avoiding the space, refusing to invite God into the space, it will break your soul. I don't care how noble all of those different things you're trying to juggle are or how important they are. Your soul, your mind, your body is not strong enough to deal with all of that stress and to live life at this pace and not exist inside the space and deal with some of that stuff. It will make you spiritually unhealthy. It will make you emotionally unhealthy and it will make you physically unhealthy. You will not be able to deal with all of those anxieties for very long. Not only will it make you unhealthy, but even worse, over time, you'll be convinced that God is not what your soul needs. Because think about it. 
all the things that we go to to fill the space, work, entertainment, other activities, whatever it is, these are things that we are hoping will soothe, somehow deal with, or at least distract us from, from all of those calls that we've put on hold. And the truth is that only casting our anxieties on God will actually put your soul at rest. And so in Exodus 33, the next chapter over, after God and Moses dealt with the golden calf incident, which they dealt with it very harshly in the rest of 32, um, God has a conversation with Moses in the beginning of Exodus 33, and God says something disastrous to Moses. I want you to see this. I'm going to read Exodus 33, verses 1 to 3. Look what God says to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to their forefathers, saying to your offspring, which are the people of Israel, I will give it this land. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. God pulled Moses aside and said this, here's the deal. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give your people what they want. I'm going to give them safety. I'll protect you on the way to the promised land. I will send an angel before you. They'll take out all of the other nations that might ambush you. I will give you safe passage to the promised land. I will give you the promised land. You can live there. A land flow of milk and honey, and you will live in abundance. You will be wealthy. I'll give you the desires of your heart, but you will not have me. And it was really good that God was offering this deal to Moses. Because Moses had been on the mountain with God. Moses' soul was in a healthy place. So Moses knew that was a bad deal. That that deal would be disastrous. So Moses says in Exodus 33 verse 15 to God, Moses says, and Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. Moses essentially says back to God, God, if you're not going to go with us, then we don't want to go to the promised land. Moses didn't take the deal. But if God had offered that deal to the rest of the nation, I'll give you everything you want, all of the riches and the wealth and the land that you want to live in and safety, all that. I'll give it all to you and you won't have me. That, the nation of Israel might have taken that deal. See, when we don't invite God into the space of our life and cast our anxieties onto Him, we can very easily come to a place where we would take that deal. Where we want, all we want for God is just, God, what I want you to do is deal with all of the anxieties. I want you to, to erase all of the, the calls on hold. I want you to give me the things that I want. Make the lights go away. I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want a healthy soul. I want you to give 
me what I think I need. And many of us, we just are waiting for God to, to, to offer us that deal, to have that kind of relationship with him. God, you know what I think would t- make the blinking lights go away? More money. That's just what's going to make them go away. You know what's going to make the blinking lights go away? Uh, a spouse who changes. Or a better job. Or this pandemic leaving. That's going to make the blinking lights go away. But that's not the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. And that's not what your soul needs. God did not send Jesus to come and and die for you and, and bear the penalty of your sins and to give you forgiveness just so that he could be this supernatural genie to deal with all of our needs and desires. God sent Jesus because he wants to be reconciled with you and in relationship with you. He wants to be invited into the space so he can shepherd your heart and your soul to a healthy place, the kind of place that he created it for. We read in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, God says to us through Peter, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so as as God's people, if if we want to have a a healthy soul that, that finds true, lasting joy in Christ, then we need to slow the pace of our life down. And instead of avoiding space in our life, we need to embrace it and invite God into it, casting our anxieties on Him, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, trusting in His ways. And what this looks like is is entering into that space with God, taking each call and casting that specific anxiety upon God, right? If you're doing the Healthy Soul Challenge right now, you you know we've been challenging to spend one hour every single day of uninterrupted uh, 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 no distraction time with God. And a part of that hour includes 20 minutes of silence where we just ask you to sit in silence before God. Not reading anything, not doing anything, space. And it's been challenging. It's been challenging for me. I know it's been challenging for a lot of people that I've talked to because when we create space, when we do that, the blinking lights get louder. And we can see, and all the anxieties start to bubble up, and everything in your head, all the to-do lists, and the anxieties, and the fears, and the worries, and frustrations begin to come up. And maybe for you, what you need to do as you practice this of, of giving God some space is beginning to make a list of all of those blinking lights. And then begin to pray through each one of them, applying scripture to them if you can, but Here's what you need to know about every one of those blinking lights. Listen to me. Like, like, hear this. To God, they matter. To God, they're valid. To God, every one of those blinking lights is a way that he can relate with you, 
care for you, shepherd your soul. He wants to hear about it. He wants to help you through it. He wants to give you truth and encouragement and challenge. They're valid to God. There's not one of those blinking lights, one to-do list, one little fear and anxiety that you have that God says, that's not worthy of me. That's not the way it is. Christ has purchased you through his blood on the cross. You are now a child of God, worthy to be in his presence, invited into his presence, and so cast your anxieties on him. Stop filtering them. Stop filtering your prayer time with God. Cast them on him. Don't distract yourself away. When you're in the space and something pops up, don't grab your phone to distract yourself away from it. Cast it upon God. Humble yourself underneath that knowing that he wants to care for you. Pray through it. Bring it to him. Don't filter it out. Because it's in the space where we truly love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. That's where we do that. And so listen, it's an act of worship to adjust our pace of life to allow more space with God. Let me say that again. It's an act of worship to adjust our pace of life to allow more space with God because you cannot have a healthy soul without it. Because God wants to enter into your anxieties. And so how are you inviting God into the space? How are we disciplining ourselves to not avoid the space? Right? These are questions we need to be asking. And so here's, thing, here's one thing I want to just invite you to, super practical, is tomorrow. Tomorrow, Monday at noon, uh, we typically go live on our Facebook page and YouTube channel to do some Q&A based off of the sermon, but tomorrow is going to be a special day. Uh, we're inviting the author of a book. Uh, the book is called The Common Rule. The author is Justin Early, and he has written just a fantastic book about the rhythms and the pace of our lives and how we can begin to invite God into it and not continue down this destructive pace that most of us live. I read this book about a year ago while I was on a, a pastoral retreat and it was exactly what my soul needed to hear because I was and in many ways still do struggle with living life at an unsustainable, unhealthy pace. And this book was an encouragement to me, not just theologically, but also practically on what it would begin to look like in a busy season of life to slow my pace down so I can have more space with God. So really encourage you to tune into that. That's going to be tomorrow, Monday at noon. Our Facebook page, YouTube channel will be live uh, make sure you jump in. And if you can't catch us live, obviously the replays will be available tomorrow as well. But Grace Hill, my, my hope and my prayer for us is, as, we, as we begin to ad adjust the pace of our lives, evaluate the pace of our lives, my prayer is that God would give us the grace and the discipline and the ability to sustain that to experience the peace and the joy that he brings in the midst of it, and that we would live the rest of our lives 
in such a way where we know that for my soul to be healthy, I need space with God, casting my anxieties on Him, not putting everything on hold, but dealing with it as God shepherds me in that direction. Let me pray for us. God, uh, I pray this morning uh, specifically that there would be people uh, who are tuning in, God, who, uh, that what just happened is they got permission to get some time alone with you and to cry out to you in ways, Lord, that they've not allowed themselves to do in the past. God, maybe there are some people who just feel like that the things that they're worried about or the things that their mind is consumed with are not things that are worthy of you. And God, the cross of Jesus Christ tells us that we are now your children. And anything that is on our mind, anything that makes us anxious, any fear, anything, God, you want us to cast it upon you, to trust you, to bring it to you, because you're our Father. And so, God, I pray that we as a people would do this, that we would adjust the pace of our life to create more space with you. And God, I know that you will be faithful to meet us in that place. We love you, God. We ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.